Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Highly Acclaimed Imperfectly Perfect podcast, and I'm excited about this one good friend over in the U.S. has come on. So like I do every single week, I just explain a little bit about my guest before we get into the hard-hitting questions. So Steve Roscoe, MBA, MSM, is a former Wall Street broker, professional MMA fighter, and the founder of Smash Global. After years in the cage, Steve identified an opportunity to raise the level of class and sophistication in the sport by creating entertainment events for premium clientele. With an MBA, an MS degree, and extensive professional fighting experience, Roscoe is uniquely equipped to lead and manage a mixed martial arts MMA events organization. So first and foremost, Steve, welcome to the show, mate. Ah, thanks for having me, man. I look forward oh. to it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's been a while. When was the time? Oh, I think I was over in LA. What? Before COVID now? Yeah, so you figure it's got to be almost at least two years, right? Yeah, when we shot for, for the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. So first, before we go into depth on that stuff, let's start with your story. I'd love to hear how where you came from, what made you want to work on Wall Street and then transition into MMA? Yeah, I always, I always think the Wall Street story is somewhat funny because, you know, when you're a teenager, I mean, who really knows what they want to do in life? You're, you're too young to have, you haven't experienced enough. Yep. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, I had took this class, it was called the American Experience. And during that class, we talked, we, we did a little study on Wall Street and finance. And uh, we played this game called the stock market game, which is like a, a statewide competition and uh, I placed like top six in the entire state. And I was like, wow, I'm really good at this. And I actually really enjoyed researching tickers and researching companies and trying to make an evaluation. And it, it just, it just seemed easy. And then I saw the movie Boiler Room and it was fucking over. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I want to be those guys right there, like doing those two things together. Like I loved it. I loved the lifestyle. So uh, I went to pay the time I know what school I wanted to go to, I said, what's the closest college to Wall Street? And there's a school called Pace University. It's like four blocks away. So I went to Pace University. I doubled majored in marketing and finance. And then I went to Charles Schwab on the corner of Wall Street in William. I lived on 45 Wall Street. Um, I loved what I did. And then I got recruited by a firm in Connecticut called Barnum Financial Group to move to Connecticut and then I just, honestly, I kind of fell out of love with the whole industry. It wasn't my thing. But what I did love was jujitsu and MMA. After work, that was exactly where I went. And um, it's all I wanted to do. It's like I went to work just because I couldn't wait to get out to go train. You know, because anyone can work for a paycheck for so long. But if you don't love what you do, it becomes like a rat race and monotonous, like Groundhog Day. And that's how I started to feel, I don't know, 26 years old. So then at the time, I said, you know something, I go back to school. I went back to grad school. I got my MBA and my MS. And then I quit finance. Um, I took my family. I moved to San Diego, California. And I turned pro as a fighter. I think it was 2012. I moved there in 2009. I went uh, 8-0 as a pro. 
got the opportunity to go to Australia. And I was in <laughs> Melbourne for a while and I fought the number one kid. And he was Nick Patterson at the time. He was like 17 and four, I believe. And uh, I just got caught, man. It was, it was a tough one. It's still a tough pill to swallow, man. I still think about it every single day because there's so many moments in my head that I wish I just did differently, you know? And uh, yeah, so I lost. I, I decided that that was it for me. I've already had like two knee surgeries. I had a separated AC joint, all these issues, a one-year-old at home. And I was like, man, I'm 34, I think 2014. So I was 34 years old, just about. And I'm like, man, to be the next George St. Pierre at the time and get into the UFC, that's like a three to four year uh, roadmap. I didn't have that in me anymore. It's not like I was 25 years old. So I said, what can I do to stay in my sport that I love so much? And there was two options. It was open up my own gym, have my own fight team. And at the time, my rationale was I don't want to clean mats at five o'clock in the morning and be there till 11 o'clock. Like that's not the lifestyle I want either. And uh, fast forward now, I actually want that. I'm actually working on it. It's kind of funny. But the other thing was, um, what is my sport lacking? What can I do to make it better? And at that time, it was the sport had grown so fast in such a short period of time. I felt like the demographic, the crowd had, has not caught up. So boxing, right, is very Formula One because it has centuries of history and buildup. People go to major boxing matches in suits and ties, women in fur coats. They make a thing of it. It's like a social experience. Whereas MMA came from that backyard NASCAR field. So I said, well, how do I get that boxing community in the higher network demographic, the Wall Streeters, to come watch MMA? So now I do it in a, it's a black tie gala. You know, tickets are like $500 up to $2,500. Tables up to 10 grand. It's exclusive. Only 250 people. There's a cage in the center of the ballroom. I do 25 to 30 tables that surround the cage. You get like a four course dinner. So you're eating like salmon and filet at your table, open bar while you're watching these fights and happen in the cage. Um, I'm fully licensed, just like the UFC. I'm a professional fighting organization. Um, let me think where else. I do the whole red carpet experience. So I get all the celebrities to come and I always make sure I honor somebody. So going to LA, which is so saturated with events, I knew I needed to still, to get people to come, it was a good move to honor people. Because like, oh, people are like, oh man, I don't know who these fighters are, but I know who that honoree is. Let me go show love and support. So I started honoring people. I've honored a lot of people from like Mel Gibson and Steven Seagal to Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. And it's been a really fun experience. So I haven't had a show since December 2019 because of covid because we were playing the next one for April 2020, so we got shut down. And I literally just put in my uh, my event request yesterday to have it August 26th. So if we were back in action. <laughs> nice, dude. Nice. And yeah, I've seen those events, and they go off the red carpet. But you know what? I, and I've always openly said this to you, how much I respect you in, in your work ethic and your, your brain's so analytical, and it just like goes... Ch -ch -ch it puts everything together like pieces and one thing unbeknown to you that you once said, and I've heard you say it a few times, but that stuck with me. Like when it comes to people in professional sports or that networking is key. When you are at the height and everyone's eyes are on you, that is the time to network. And yep. like I say, unbeknown to you, 
I took that on and I was like, okay, so my platform has grown so big with this. I need to network with the right people and the best people. Uh, so yeah, take my hat off people to you. Learn that Thank, from you. You. <laughs> Thank you. You know, what's funny is that I said it in another interview a couple of years ago that that's where athletes, especially fighters fail. Cause if you're a fighter, you're like, Oh my God, you know, why do I need to network? I'm going to be rich and famous. But you need to network during your glory day. So when you're done and retired, you've built the network. But all these guys, they wait until like they're done, they've retired, or they're all on their downward spiral. And you can't wait for that. You have to use your stage when it's at its highest. Yeah. But if you start, but a lot of these guys aren't thinking about them, what's going to happen with the next, next chapter. Because if you think about the next chapter, it's like, oh, my God. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fail at some point. So let me start thinking about it. And that's also a bad thing. But at the end of the day, you have to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I say. I took, I took that from you because not, not in terms of being a sports star or famous or anything like that. But with me, when you said that and I heard it, I was like, okay, so with this, it's always been about longevity. And with something for longevity, I've never thought about the money because I've always worked on the side, but I've gone... I need to build relationships with the key people for longevity and the money and everything will come for it so I can extend it. But I think a lot of people do think around the other way. They're like, oh, the fame, the fortune, it's here now. I better soak it all in. But as you yes. say, when it's gone, they've, they've, they've got nothing. Like actors, everyone yep. in entertainment, I notice it all the time. But it's, uh, yeah. yeah. You see it a lot now. There's, a, there's definitely a paradigm shift where, a lot of these professional basketball players, for example, you see them investing in companies while they're still playing and being on boards while they're still playing. Whereas they never did that back in the day. It would be like a, like Shaquille O'Neal. He never, he wasn't investing in companies while he was playing. Obviously when he stopped, he was one person that had good advisors and he started investing in everything in franchises. But most guys don't do that while they're playing. They wait until they're done. And you should always start, before because when you're when you're a rock star everybody wants to be around you so take advantage of it yeah yeah hard game hard game i always say when Very. i when i've got to know people within that profession and and like it, it's i've i've gone on a roller coaster and um like since we caught up last time i've learned lessons about you don't know who's real you don't know who's and you go through this roller coaster thing so you have I now realize why people have such tight circles within that business realm. And that's absolutely. But, but going back to yourself, when you went through the wall street, I'll ask you like, so everybody, ultimately you got into wall street and you saw it all. And that's what you wanted to do. What's something that nobody would understand about the wall street from a personal perspective? Is it hard stress, men mentality, mental health? Yeah. Very. Cause you figure, when you first start and you're building your book of business, it's one of those things like, all right, I got to make a hundred phone calls today so I can get 10 people on the phone so I can book six appointments and close two people. You know, so you're talking about like two, per you're already going in knowing that I'm going to only get 2% of everything that I do, you know, and that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, it's like being an entrepreneur. You're like in the negative for like five years at least. Like you're eating shit and your employees are probably making more money than you for the first. When I first started my company and I'm actually taking an L, right? I'm like losing money every event, and, but I'm paying my fighter $2,000. I'm like, man, 
my fighter made more money than I did today, you know, and that kind of, that sucks sometimes. But um, with Wall Street, it's, it's just that closing rate. It's so monotonous and such a grind. But then you look at the guys who are in the business for 20 years, and like, man, why are they making so much money? It's not because they're building a new book of business. It's because they're making all these residuals from those first 10 years of grinding, all those 2%, 2%, 2%, they have 100 clients that are now also paying them 1%, you know, forever, you know, so it's the running a business is the same exact way. It's just like, it's just a steamroll engine and eventually you hope to hope for it to pay off. Um, another thing too, people don't realize, and I'll say now because of like the, how things like GameStop and AMC are trending so much and it's because of influence that people actually have well on wall street these guys do the same shit you have like a the vp of wells fargo and the ceo of goldman sachs and all these guys getting together and having war room sessions and manipulating prices and driving stocks up and down and shorting and all that and then we're the ones who who take the l while they're making all this money that's how rich get rich and poor get poor so now that's why they hate all of this game stop that's why they hate the AMC and they hate the crypto because now the people have the power to drive things up and down and they don't. So someone who came from that background, I love seeing what, what's happening now. I think it's such a cool thing to see. That's, that's mind blowing learning that. And from that, when it goes into kind of the pressures of that ability and, and seeing the people take back the power, you're a big advocate for anti-bullying, especially towards Absolutely. our kids. So can you tell us a little bit about that and, and, and your experience with mental health? I know you openly speak about losing your brother to PTSD. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So PTSD hits hard for me because of what you just said. You know, I think people tend to forget that I always say this and I didn't realize it. And so, you know, I lost Franco is his name, nickname, Michael Franklin. Um, PTSD is the ultimate bully. Like, cause whatever is going on in your head, there's no bigger bully than that. Yeah, I mean, everyone gets bullied in, in the workplace or physically, right? But what about your own personal demons that are inside that you just can't be? Like, you're fighting yourself every day. So I have a big soft spot for PTSD. And I think people tend to forget that, to me, that's the ultimate bully. Wow. And then with Smash Global, you've gone on with your own organization to obviously advocate for anti-bullying and give back to yeah. a lot of charities and kids. Yep. Because so originally when I started it, I was raising money for all different charities. So, I mean, the first eight shows, it was a new charity every single time. Um, and then I think it was my seventh show. I started focusing on anti-bullying because to me, martial arts is the number one thing that kids should be doing towards combating anti-bullying because listen i don't care how much you want to advocate for it um and be what's the word and uh, and fight for your kids to not be bullied but guess what as soon as your kid leaves the house and he goes to school you can't protect him anymore mm -hmm. right so you need to teach your kids to be empowered and protect themselves so what other way is better than martial arts you know to me martial arts isn't about being the toughest guy in the room but it's about, you know, being the warrior in the garden. And if you need to step up, you will, if a warrior does come. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for martial arts. And I wanted to use my platform because people think of MMA as this like rah, rah, rah. These guys are savages and so aggressive. 
but mo- the majority of these guys are not. When they're not in the cage, they're humble. I would say humble savages, you know, and they're all huge advocates for anti-bullying. And a lot of pro fighters have been bullied when they were kids. I mean, I was bullied a little bit, not not nearly as much as others, but it's only because I was the smallest one in my crew, always. You know, so it was always me fighting and wrestling against all of my friends who were bigger and the athletes. I was just a late bloomer. You know, in high school, my four years of wrestling, it was 103 pounds, 112 pounds, 112 pounds, 119 pounds. So I was always a little guy. I had a lot of fight in me, but I was always the little guy. And I'm just, I'm just thinking every time I see you train at the gym over in Gold, I'm like, no, you're not the little guy, mate. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you train like a beast. I think the, one of the first times I saw you, you was doing like, um, what was it? Chest press, 500 reps or something crazy like that. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I, yeah. Tried, I got to about 200. I was like, how the hell? <laughs> but man. But um, you know, yeah. I have like that, that, um, that little guy syndrome will always be in my head. I always have to outwork everybody, you know, because when it comes to training and wrestling, it's the size doesn't matter. Everything is here. Right. So it's, it's, yeah. it's always been embedded in me. So I suppose going to that, then having that within yours, that attributes to your past and always carrying that forward. As we were talking just before the show and we spoke about COVID and it made you go inwards and how you yeah. was other and things like that. What, then would you pass on to your son as he's growing up and you've carried that, that, that syndrome around with you? How would you try and reflect and pass it on to your, your kid not to think like that? Yeah, you know, I think it's actually easier now than it used to be. Um, parents now have gotten so soft. You know, it's like parents don't want their kids to fail anymore. And I'm not sure why. It's always like safety and coddling. And I get it, but you should make your kids work for everything. Like my kid, for example, you know, he plays sports. I make sure he gets straight A's, but his favorite thing to do when he's not doing that is play Fortnite. That's it. It's Fortnite. And I actually spend time watching him and learning the game. So now I understand the strategy and I'm very impressed that like kids seven years old and he's winning victory, victory Royales and listening to him strategize against other kids with his mic on. But for him to play, he has to give me 100 push-ups and 100 air squats before he turns that thing on. Mm. And then when, then he can play for as long as he wants, whether it's two hours or four hours, I don't care, but I make him earn it first. But now parents don't want to take that time, and I was guilty of that. We talked about COVID, like I said before. You know, I'm a hunter, and I like to grind, and I've fell into that trap of, oh, I got to provide for my family and provide for the future when in actuality – your kids just want your time. So my wife was not shut down. She was still working, but because I was shut down, I became the stay at home mom for the last year and a half. And I learned so much more about myself and the importance of, of like that love. And I don't know, I can't explain it, but me and him are like this now. And uh, there was a time that my wife brings it up probably every few months because there was a time where in California, I was doing the show and I wasn't around at all. I'm working like 18 hour days. And there was one night I was in bed. She comes in the room and she says, she says, just so you know, your son just cried to me in bed and said, daddy doesn't love me. He doesn't spend enough time with me. He won't play with me. And I'm like, oh. and at the time I didn't take it. To, I took it to heart in a negative way. I twisted it in my head. 
what are you talking about? I'm working so hard, I'm fighting for my family. So you don't have you don't have to work, you get to stay home with him and blah, blah, blah. When in actuality, I was wrong in the first place. And now looking back, like I realize how important it is to spend time with your kids, not just be like, I'm the weekend, I'm the I'm the father on the weekends. Saturdays here, I'm gonna spend time with my kid, you know, and that's it's not fair to them. But look at that though, like you learned, you took it on. And I think what you say when you say parents too soft these days, I think what we've learned or what you've learned in your journey is um, all those failures are actually blessings in disguise, aren't they? So oh my God. it's, you learn along the way. I've got one more question for you because I know you've got to rush and pick your kid up. So um, oh, out of everything you learned and last time that we, we, we caught up and everything like that with everything that you've been through so far and COVID, now looking back on retrospect, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Oh man, it's you know that's so funny. It's, that's such such a tough question. I think it's important people to understand perfection is impossible, right? And you have to really understand what your flaws are and what your imperfections are, and be okay with it, or just strive to make them better. I have my flaws. I mean, listen, like physically, I tell you what, you see how tra- how hard I train, right? And I train hard as shit and I lift heavy and I squat and I, de- I do all that. My legs will not grow. I think my arm, my biceps are bigger <laughs> than my quads. And it drives me crazy, but I've gotten to the point where I realize it's just how I'm built. There's nothing I can do about that. And there's a lot of people that they're so asphyxiated on being perfect when it's sometimes it just doesn't work. It's, it's impossible. It is. It is. But I'll tell you something, mate. It's it's funny what we tell ourselves in our heads because I've seen you train, <laughs> and from one guy to yeah. another, your physique is insane. Yeah, <laughs> you train hard. But uh, I just want to say on on behalf of the campaign, on behalf of me, mate, I really appreciate your time and coming on. Um, where can people find out more about you and your events coming up? When's your next event now again? Yeah. Um, I just put in a request for August twenty sixth back in Los Angeles. Um, I was shooting to do my next one in Miami and I was down there two weeks ago, but man, it is way too hot to do what I want to do down there. <laughs> so I'm going to wait on Miami until the winter. Um, but yeah, so LA will be next. Um, you can find me. My website is uh, www.smashglobal.com. Um, Instagram is smash global. And then my personal IG is Steve Orozco, or you can type in Mr. Smash and that, uh, and that'll pop up too. Well, well guys, um, I'm going to, Go on, sorry, mate. Yeah, I, w- I would say there, there's one th- one more thing I want to say about like mental health. Yeah, you know yeah. the this the self deprivation like that people have, and then they they try to find other outlets that are not good. You know, like drugs or alcohol, and um, it's just it's just such a sad thing. I see it all the time. Like my, for example, my my ex wife, um, her her brother overdosed. You know, about five or six years ago from uh, from drugs. And then my, my sister-in-law now is an alcoholic and she lies about everything. She, she's not honest. And it's just crazy what people go through and no one wants to open up and talk to somebody about it. You know, so it's just self-deprivation. It's like, oh, I'm just going to drink it away. I'm not going to talk to anyone. And the doctor asked me if I drink, I'm going to say I never drank before. And, uh, and, and PTSD works. This, I'm saying that because PTSD works the same way. Yeah. All these soldiers come back from war. And it's like, rah, 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 I'm tough. I'm a soldier. I'm not supposed to tell people that I'm having mental health problems. And the war affected me because I watched somebody, my friend, blow up next to me. Like, 
that's not normal to come back to society after seeing all that. And, and people just have to have understand that everyone wants to help. It's not weak asking for help. Love that, mate. Love that, mate. And especially coming from a guy. Like, that's the thing. We need to have these hard conversations. And you see it more Absolutely. times than not when guys just won't and they just find it hard even to open up to their, their friends. So yep. do, do you find that easier these days to openly speak about your emotions to friends? Because of what yeah. you've been through with your brother and everything. Absolutely, absolutely. But I've always been in a very, um, you know, I, I would say I'm an alpha, right? But I have a lot of empathy and I care about others. Like I really take in people's feelings. So I also have no problem asking or talking to people about my issues either. And I think that's really important. I'm not like that, bro. I'm tough guy. I'm not telling anyone. <laughs> that's like old. That, that's like my father. Like my father was like that. My, I say this all the time. My father like sometimes feels bad about it. Like he wasn't the father who was, hey, son, I love you and cuddle and hug and kiss, right? And most fathers, my father's generation or his father, they didn't show um, emotion. They didn't show compassion. They weren't touchy-feely because it was a sign of weakness. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now I feel like our generation has become more emotionally intelligent. Where, listen, you tell your kids, like, you got to go work and you got to go kill and smash everything, but... I love you and I'm still going to kiss you and I'm still going to tell you I'm proud. I'm going to, you know, if you cry, I'm going to say it's okay. And I think that's important. Steve Orozco, hard on the outside, soft in the middle. You already know. <laughs> New title, mate. Well, again, I just want to thank you um, for everything that you do, anti-bullying, talking about PTSD, mate, and getting behind the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. Guys, I will chuck up all the links throughout this as soon as it's released. So make sure to go to Imperfectly Perfect Podcast through all major podcast platforms. And until next time, keep having the hard conversations because that is what saves lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.